Welcome to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Join me, your host, Father Craig Gare, and usually Father Drew Maybe, as we explore priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese, and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month to wherever you get your podcasts and learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com. Well, welcome everybody to another edition of Men of the Hearts. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have Father Drew on today. Um, we had to switch around our schedules a little bit, so um, unfortunately he's not here, but he's with us in spirit. I know he's praying for us, but we have a wonderful guest on today. He's done so much in the Archdiocese. We lived on the same floor in the seminary. We did, We yes. did, we did. So, Father David Sobolski, welcome uh, to the show. Thank you, Father Craig. And uh, the thing I remember most about that is, if you remember the dynamics of the hallway, you lived uh, across from Father Chuck. Yes. Who piped cold air into his room because the seminary was way too hot. Mm-hmm. And then you liked it very hot in your room. So there was actually a weather front that developed in the hallway. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was great. I don't know how he did that. He left his window open with all the f- winter long. With the fan yeah. blowing in. Yeah. Yeah, and I had the heat on with the fan blowing out. <laughs> you remember that? You I got do. a good memory. It was, it was it was incredible time. Yeah, well, thinking about some blessings that've been going on. I mean, we just celebrated Christmas. We're recording this uh, in the octave of Christmas, so technically we still are in Christmas. So, um, Merry Christmas, Father. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you and to everybody listening as well. Um, yeah, what's been going on in your life? What's been a blessing? What's been cool? What's what's happening? What's the haps? Well. I think one of the things, Christmas was on a Sunday this year, or Christmas was on a Monday, which means you've got the whole Sunday routine, and then you immediately have a vigil mass, which everybody wants to go to at, what, 4 o'clock? Yeah, that's the big that, mass now. That's that's pretty stressful. And my deacon, Deacon Nick, came to me and said, Father, do you want me to preach for you for the Sunday masses, the the Advent 4th Sunday? And I said, Wow that would be great. And it was because you're preparing for Sunday liturgy is, is always big. Yeah. And you're, you've always got an eye on that in, in your priesthood in the week. What am I going to say? What, what does God want me to say? Yeah, it takes a whole week to put together a good weekend homily. Well, I'm, I'm glad you do it. I start mine on Friday night. and <laughs> <laughs> I know what they taught us in seven. I do look at the readings beforehand, obviously. It's in there. I, it's in your spirit. It's, it's in your it's, holy it's in hour there, and but everything. The, yeah. the crunch time. Probably back to what I did in seminary, you know, if the paper's due tomorrow, let's start getting work on it, you know? And, and do you so, write your homilies out, or do you... I, I do. Okay. I, I do write it out. I don't read it, but um, probably come out. I My background was engineering, so I like a flow, and outline, this point is going to develop into this, and, mm-hmm. and, and the, the next point will flow from that. And I... I Maybe I, 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 I think about it a lot, maybe stress about it a lot, so... When you got to give them back to back, and then you get it off and go, I can just, what am I going to say for Christmas? What am I going to say for Christmas? And the other things that go along with it, I, I, I sung the gospel this year. I sung the Eucharistic prayer, but you kind of got to brush up on those things. Too. Yeah, definitely. Uh, when when I sing, I sing the last note that I heard, which isn't necessarily the last note that you want to start on. <laughs> <laughs> So a little bit of practice helps in, yeah, in that Yeah, with regards. your organist and everything and yeah. going through that. Yeah. Not as much as like singing the Exalted at the Easter Vigil, but still enough to chant the Eucharistic. Because, I mean, I don't—you don't hear that too often, like the Eucharistic prayer being chanted. 
you know, I I don't know why I've I've been doing it for funerals, and I've been doing it for a, a lot of years at funeral masses. And one of my parishioners at St. Joseph said to me, you need to do this at the big feast days. So hmm. one year I pulled it out and surprised her and prayed Eucharistic prayer number one, which is a challenge because it's got the extra little Christmas part that yeah. means that there's a page flip and a page flip back because I don't memorize the, the notes in my head. So yeah. I don't know, maybe parishioners will be listening to this and say, Father, don't do that ever again, please. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got a good voice. You were in the choir in the seminary. And I everything. was in the choir, yeah. You were yeah. in the scola too, right? Or no? Mm, I don't remember being in the scola, okay. so I, I think it was just the... But you were choir. a cantor as well, where you got up and... I, I was a cantor, yeah. that's yeah. Right. Now, now now, you're reminding me. I, I was not on the A-team cantor list, but I, I was. Well, you were versed in it. You stood up in front of everybody and yeah. sang out the verses. and Yeah. And I, and I remember... you. God uses our talents. Uh, my mom kind of implanted – we had a big piano in the house, which actually my, my sister now has. We, I visited her the other day. And my mom one day said, do you want to take piano lessons? And I said, oh, that would be great. And so I took piano lessons. And then when I wanted to quit, she wouldn't let me quit. She let <laughs> me in, but not out. And that gave me a little bit of a music background. So I was familiar with notes. Yeah. I, I can't – I can't really sight read, uh, but there there was a basic familiarity with it in, in the seminary that uh, Dr. Prowse would give us a, a sheet of music and we'd be practicing and, and it would make sense. Yeah. I, I don't know if I always nailed my part, but it was, uh, yeah, it was all that works, all that from the background works into little pieces that are put together. And yeah, I, I did, I did canter Fairbridge, which the the public speaking part for me wasn't too bad, but the first time you get up and stand in front of your peers and you have to chant or sing things, oh, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> That's That just takes it to a new level. Yeah. And and now it's amazing because we do it all the time. You, you come to Mass and you need an Alleluia verse and you can just go with that and it, it's, it's no problem. It's amazing what you can do when yeah. you overcome your... It's been a couple of times, too, where I used to chant the whole Mass um, when I got really comfortable, and it was fine, you know, and then Lent would come and or, or Advent, and you would try to use, like, a different tone, and I remember starting off a couple of times and just, like, totally bombing and just looked at the people and just said, Lord, have mercy, Christ, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, we'll try it next week. <laughs> you know, because you, you got to be okay to laugh at yourself a little oh, bit yeah. and say, okay, I tried, you know, and, and it didn't quite work, and that was just my nerves, and next time I did it, I did it fine. So yeah, I think a little bit of musical background when it comes to uh, being a priest is, is kind of helpful. It is. It Even is. just having a little bit of tone to know that like when you start off a prayer, like in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the, you don't even have to change notes, but even yeah. that sounds right. beautiful done in a reverent way. So, And I remember, and I think again, it was uh, our music teacher in the seminary, Dr. Prowse, or the one one of them used to insist there is no such thing as somebody who's tone deaf. I can teach anybody. And I always think about that when parishioners say, oh, I can't sing. I, I think you probably can. You... I, I won't say names, but there are a couple of guys that, <laughs> <laughs> that cannot sing. It's funny that you said that because uh, a couple faces popped into my mind yeah, right. from seminary days. <laughs> but at least they tried, you know, and, and God loves a trier and you know oh, yeah. the fact that you tried and, and wanted to make it beautiful 
God honors that. And I think there's more blessings from that than if it was sung beautifully by someone who could just do it right by rote or something like that. So I think God loves our trying. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. And, he, and God uses our weaknesses too. So. Yeah. So how were the Christmas masses? Because, you know, me and my unique role, I really don't have like a parish to set all that up. So it wasn't like I'm trying to figure out what, you know, my readings are and what I'm going to be praying and what my, you know, different homilies are going to be for. So how did that turn out with Deacon doing the fourth Sunday of Advent and you just focusing on Christmas? I mean, a lot of people, like you said, and you're oh, at yeah. a new parish compared to what you were before. Right. And now with the families of parishes. So... I find myself covering a lot St. Patrick and St. Perpetual, also in her family is Holy Spirit and St. Mary's. I wound up with all the Masses at St. Patrick's. So Father Paul took the 4 o'clock, the, the huge Mass, and we decided this year, again because of Christmas Eve being on a Sunday, we were going to get rid of the, the gym Mass. That's Instead of having two Masses at in, once. Instead of having two, yeah, instead yeah. of having two Masses at once, where are we going to get the priest to which is kind of funny now that we're talking about vocation podcast. Where would we possibly get the we priest? We need priests, to have right? Two masses, and and <laughs> parishioners were a little grumpy about that, and that was pray for priests. Yeah. We don't have the the priest power to to do this simultaneously. And I guess my other thing uh, motivation was a mass in the gym for Christmas. Eh, you, you wanted in that that sacred place. Yeah. And and Father Paul had the mass, and it worked. There may not have been an empty seat in the place, but people weren't standing, at least what I've been told. there was. At one point, they were prepared to put a sign on the door that's saying, it's packed in here. You may want to think about a new... They didn't have to do that. Good. Then I had... It's amazing how many people you can actually fit in a church. And I remember, you know, we had a capacity at my previous parish and, you know, come you know, Christmas Eve, that four o'clock, 4.30 mass, I mean, there was like double the amount, but yet everybody still fit in the church and they made it work. And it's so wonderful to see that many people mm -hmm. at mass at that particular time. It's really invigorating. Yeah, I think I counted and it's 1167 for St. Patrick, which we probably got pretty close to capacity, but we'll have 300, 400 people at mass and the place does not look full because you have such a huge, it's a, it's a yeah. huge, it's a, it, it, it's a huge church. Yeah, I was there a couple weeks. You ago. were, you did come, and I mentioned you in my homily this week. Oh. I was, was coming here, and I said, "Remember, Father Craig, I'm coming. I'm going to be in his podcast." Oh. Yeah, I told him to uh, look for this podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, listeners out there, you don't know how long that I've been trying to get Father David on this podcast for at least a year now. This is true. And we thought it was going to happen because we had to kind of move things around and, and we've made it happen. So God really has something. You have something in store that some guy needs to hear. I, 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 I guess so. I yeah, truly cause, believe cause that. I refuse to do this on a Wednesday. Yes. And you told me I had to do it on a Wednesday. So <laughs> there was the standoff for an entire year. And today's Thursday. <laughs> today's so, that Thursday. Works, so that works. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. That's a wonderful blessing to have, and everything went well. No, no one passed out or anything like that. Nobody passed out. And, and the amazing thing was the 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 masses. I believe the next mass was a six, and then we had an eight thirty. So I had those two six and eight thirty. Those were big attendance too, and and then the next day I had eight and a ten. Father Paul wanted to do the midnight at Saint Perpetua. And then he did the tenant Saint Perpetua too. But yeah, it was it was great. 
wonderful Christmas blessings. Yeah. Lots of grace. Yeah. Did you go to your families at, at some point? I did. I, I visited them uh, two days. On we, we, My sister had a dinner on Sunday night, and then she invites her her mother-in-law and her brother-in-law. And then uh, my dad, my dad's wife are there. And then the next day, we went we went to my dad's house and just my sister and brother-in-law and we exchanged gifts. Cool. So that was that was very nice. It was, yeah. Yeah. That's a little bit different for me. I think kind of that's the blessing of being able to enter into the season without worrying about all the stuff that you have to worry about when you're a pastor and taking care of a number of different parishes. So for me, it wasn't busy at all. But it allowed me to kind of just really get into the spirit of Christmas. Um, went to my my parents' house for for dinner that day, and my brother came over with his family, and we're kind of a small gathering when we get together. But it was nice to see everybody. We had a good meal, and that was a blessing. It was good. Nice, nice. Yeah. Okay, well, Father David, without further ado, why don't you go into your vocation story, and I might stop you along the way. Okay, sounds good. I think. Maybe I'll say a little bit about my family upbringing, my background. I was thinking about that as, as I, I drove over here. It's about a 45-minute drive to, to get to seminary nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> my mom went to Catholic school. I went to, uh, to St. Lawrence, St. Lawrence School in Utica. and high school, went to De La Salle. And it was just our faith was always part of the family, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was thinking about that, the little things – pop in your mind. And the one that I was, as I was praying, I remember my mom saying something like, you may put one over on me, but you'll never put one over on God. Mm-hmm. And then I, I would think, wow, it took so much to finally put one over on my mom. This is going to be really impossible. <laughs> 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 so probably my mom used to say, she used to have all these scrapbooks and everything, which I still have. Scrapbook is what? Of like prayers or well, holy would, cards of you? or No, they would be like every project that I've ever made in school. Oh, okay. She's got a, a, a binders of these. And, and what happened was I remember I was living on my own and my mom calls me one day and she said, Sue threw, about, threw out the scrapbooks. And I said, oh, note to self, don't ever throw those out because that'll make mom really mad. <laughs> <laughs> so you have these scrapbooks. So, so I do. Yeah. And when you go... It says, what, what does David want to be when he grows up? And when I was little, I wanted to be a, 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 a police officer because Chips was on. Oh. I probably don't know what that, that show was, but it was a police officer show. You, you do remember. Motorcycles. Oh, yeah, motor, that, that's right. California, was it Highway Patrol? And they were a motorcycle. Those, those were the coolest dudes out there. And I wanted to be one of them until at something changed. And it was like in the second grade. And from second grade on, I wrote in my little book, or my mom wrote in my book, David wants to be a priest when he grows up. So I, again, you don't have too much recollection of this. I thought it had to do something to do with you receive First Communion for the first time. And that must be that first little seed implanted. Hmm. Um, but I don't know. That's Like I said, a little evidence of that. Yeah, in the you book. don't remember, though, when that switch came? No, I don't remember that switch. But I, I would, that's what I would tell. I, I, was, uh, I was an altar boy. I, I started in the fourth grade. I know some parishes start you earlier. And there, there were my home parish was St. Karen. And I would tell my mom, I, I want to be an altar boy. And they, uh, I think the way they did it back then is they gave you a partner, 
somebody eventually I, I went to high school with, and uh, he trained me. He was he's my grade, but he had been serving for a little while, and I loved it. I loved uh, loved serving, loved helping the priest. What did you like about serving? Because a lot of guys who, I mean, we got this statistic where it's like 76% of all priests ordained this year were altar servers. So, like, what was it about altar serving that that was good for you? For me, I didn't start altar serving until I was like 24 years old. And to me, it made the Mass come alive. It's like, okay, now I realize why I was bored at Mass, because I'm supposed to be doing something at Mass. <laughs> and I don't know if I could put words to it, actually. <laughs> I just—it was um, it was something that I enjoyed doing, and, and I don't know why. I, it's, it's funny, with servers have their different roles, and I always wanted to carry the cross. That was my favorite thing to be able to do. And if somebody wasn't there, then you get to do somebody else's role, then that was even better. Like you get to do multiple things yeah. uh, during the Mass. And our priest was uh, Father Edward Obachowski, and just I remember oh, yeah. you know fixating on him and watching the things he, he did and, and just kind of admiring him a little bit. I don't know. I don't know why that moved me. I mean, I guess I do, because that was like that little seeds of, yeah. of God calling. Did he ever ask you about thinking about the priesthood? He didn't. There was um, another priest. Uh, his name was Monsignor Mike. His last name escapes me for a little bit. He used to call me his little professor. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and, he, and I think he would say, you're going to be a priest one day. Hmm. And... Again, don't know why he said that, or maybe God's he grace saw, must, yeah. must have seen something, but he, he, he would have called that out. And he, he was the Monsignor Mike who was living at the seminary for, for a while with us. You know, upst- I don't know if you ever ran into him. He had a place, no. but he wasn't on the faculty. No. And I remember running into him and said, I, I recognize you. And just we had a short conversation. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's kind of funny that that moment just, just didn't come back until— until right now. Yeah, thinking about all that stuff. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So now you're an altar server, so what's going on in your life uh, as you're thinking about the priesthood as a kid? Or you're not even thinking about the priesthood, you're just serving and you're loving life. And serving yeah, I, and... I think that was it. And then my my parents always wanted to push me. I, I think my dad wanted to be to succeed, go even farther in life, or have successes that he didn't have. I remember him saying, you know, when you... You want to go to school, and you not only do you want to get your bachelor's degree, you want to get your master's degree because I felt that I was held behind. And so, when I got into the high school years, it it started to fade. You know, at that point, it's I I, I I'll guess I'll just say it. It wasn't cool to be a server when you're taller than the priest. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I didn't want to serve anymore. Yeah. Which I remember not at my last parish, the parish before we had high school age guys and college age guys serving. And, and I remember when I would come to St. Cyril Methodius sometimes, you just, the example of when you have, well, they're older men at that point. Yeah, That's a great thing to look up for the younger people because then they don't have to say, well, I'm too old for this. Yeah, I'm too yeah. old for this. And, and I think that was, I just came to the conclusion, I'm too old for this. And a lot of kids come to that conclusion, like they drop out usually around high school and say, oh, it's altar serving is for junior high and younger, not for high school. And I don't know why that, that came about. Right. But in the parishes where it is a culture of the young, the boys and then the young men continue on, mm-hmm. it, it's a cycle that, that continues. You just need to get there yeah. for the guys not to feel self-conscious. Yeah. So, so you, you quit altar serving and then your parents were like, 
you know, we want what's good for you, strive to do even better. So were you like in AP classes and all that other stuff? I was, yeah, in, in high school, and I I did get good grades. Father, usually Father David's get good grades. You know yeah, Father I, David I, Pelican, I, I've he heard, got good grades. I, I've heard about the genius of Father <laughs> David Pelican. I am not as smart or wise as he, but oh. I did manage to get some good grades in high school. Okay. AP classes and everything. I did, yeah. I was actually co-salutatorian at De La Salle. What does that mean? Um, it means you're second best. Okay. Which is, you know, I, I missed number one. First is worse, second is best. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and I shared the second with somebody else. So. Oh. Um, I don't know. I guess in high school, there's Christian brothers at De La Salle. And I, and I had this thought that that's, that's really cool. And then I remember there was talk about... And they're not priests. They're they're brothers. They're brothers. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I thought their life was fascinating. And what's their charism? It's to teach high school kids, right? Well, yeah. But I think even even deeper than that, I was. I think it would, came out of teaching the poor. Um, okay. I, I think that's deep down. They want to give a good education to people who, to well, in this case, you sell and to to young boys who would not have access to that education. Okay. That's that's my guess or what I've what I've looked into it. But they had their house right across the street, and and it's it's really a fascinating thing. Again, so many things about the priesthood, or in this case, a religious vocation, it's countercultural. You don't see that anywhere else, mm-hmm. and so it's it's fascinating. So in one way, it was very attracting, but then. I don't know. I didn't feel the tug. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. There was no notion that we needed priests. I I was going into college in, in 1990, and we at least we weren't talking about a vocation crisis or a shortage of priests back then in the ways we've been talking about in the yeah. in the past couple of years. Yeah. And so I don't think it was necessarily discouraged. But it just wasn't on your radar. Man, I don't think it was something that was promoted, really. Yeah. I mean, at least from from my end, yeah. you know, I was I. There was a path for me, and the path was, you're going to college, and. So um, where did you go to college then? I, I went to Michigan. Okay. Uh, applied and applied to a, a couple different spots. Wound up going to Michigan. Got into Michigan Engineering School. Okay. Started off as that's a, not an easy thing to do. No. Okay. So no. you are pretty smart. You're Father David. You're, <laughs> you've got some smarts. <laughs> what, are, what are the other Father Davids we have in the prison? Well, we've got Father Dave Tomasicki. Yeah. He's He strikes me as a pretty smart cookie. Yeah. He's got an STL, doesn't he? There, oh, okay. He's written a couple books, too. I, I, I think yeah. he has. I think yeah. he has. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're onto something there. Yeah, I don't know. Craig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So engineering, like what what brought you to engineering? Like why did you? I mean, it's just in your nature, or yeah, I'm I'm really good at math, uh, the sciences. Love that, love that kind of stuff. And I feel like I'm the opposite. I don't. I know. Yeah, <laughs> you're not math. I tell you that. Well, yeah, but you're very artistic, which is just so foreign. Yeah. To me, I remember you had you came over one time and you hung my pictures because I couldn't figure out where to put them. Oh yeah, I did. Oh, yeah, we did. I I, I I could figure out how to hang them, but where was the big... Yeah, that's fun for me. Yeah, I love doing (laughs) it. That's that's right, because it was incredible. It was a task that needed to be done. I think I was more worried about them being in the boxes and the boxes being there than 
actually where oh, they like, look yeah, good you needed on the walls. To, yeah, you needed to move in in a sense. You needed to have a home because you were just going to that parish. I remember, yeah. Right, yeah. That was that was the last parish. Mm-hmm. So you did four years at Michigan. I did six. You did I, six years. Yeah. I almost went back and I, I was thinking about getting a PhD. Okay. And then just that that wasn't going to be for me. Uh, and. So what were you doing this time? As you're studying in, in college, are you are you still going to church? Did you I, I, run away from the church for a while? No, no, I I, I didn't. It, it was very interesting. Again, back to that family influence, and this is this uh, this will be something that I think develops with the rest of the story. I remember at at U of M they had a parent orientation. They probably, my guess is all schools might have something similar where the yeah. parents go up. So. They go up, they take me, they meet with other parents, and the college-age kids or the high schoolers are doing fun college-age kid things, getting ready for school. So there was one day that the parents had some off time, or part of the day that the parents had off time. And this story is only related to me by my mom. And the parents are like, well, well, let's check out the mall or go out to this restaurant or wherever. And my mom said, oh, no, thanks. We're going to go see St. Mary's Church. And the other parents are like, this is college. Uh, your, your, your son's not going to go to church while he's in college. And my mom looked back at the other person. She, she just tells me this story. said, I only know a couple things. I know that there's a heaven and there's a hell. And if he doesn't go to church, my standing for the first is not very good. Mm-hmm. And that was like the end of conversation. But anyways, my mom comes back that tells me the story, but then says, here's, here's how to get to St. Mary's. I lived on North Campus, and here's how you take the bus. You know, how are you, you going to get there on Sunday? And I, and I don't know why. It was never a question. Yeah. I would wake up Sunday mornings. I would grumble. We used to, back in the 90s, have snow. So... <laughs> Sometimes the bus was late. <laughs> Sometimes you got stranded on, on central campus with the bus not going back. But I, I would go every every Sunday. Yeah. And and I don't I, I guess that's a grace. I, I just never thought differently of it. And that was my background. We went to we went to church every every Sunday. And did you have a group of guys that you went with, or did you just go by yourself? No, I just went by myself. Yeah. I went by myself, and I can't. So that goes to the next part of the story that um, eventually I, I met a girl, and I liked her kind of bit, and she was Catholic. Mm-hmm. And so one day we were talking, we were going to go to church, and she's like, I'm not going. And that was completely foreign to me. What do you mean you're not going? Well, I'm not going. I don't feel like going today. Well, you have to go. And then that was the going to St. Lawrence and the going to De La Salle where you're immersed with this whole Catholic culture, you know, I could accept you go to a big university like Michigan and not everybody's Catholic. That was kind of an eye-opener in the, the first place. Yeah. But then when you find Catholics that, oh, wait a minute, this is something that all Catholics do, or at least in my mind, and then I go, well, that, what's, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> and then the, the other one that, that, that uh, really stuck out in my mind is then we had – Back in the 90s, well, let's just say presidential candidates without without getting too political. Okay. She was for a presidential candidate, and the presidential candidate was pro-choice. Hmm. And again, it stuck out to me. We, you, you can't be in support 
abortion. And I said, how, how, how can you be Catholic and, 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 and stand for this? Mm. And so it was an eye opener in a it, sense it was, that people it was an, believe this. And... It, it was an eye opener for me, and it was a decision. This is not the right woman for me, and the next woman that I date is going to be Catholic through and through. Yeah, and that was, you know, a decision I had made at some point in college. We we split apart. It took a little while. We did split apart, and then um, didn't date anybody in my last year or whatever. Yeah, but then that that became my quest. I remember the uh, the uh, when you came out to St. Patrick, you were talking about uh, you had a little funny story about passing notes in class, and yeah, the, yeah, the, the yeah. prisoners were laughing about that, going, "Oh yeah, I guess priests do uh, have the same emotions and the same desires <laughs> as all other men." <laughs> so coming out uh, from college, graduated, what had happened was a buddy, a good friend of mine, had, was working at Intel. And he said, give me your resume. And I'm thinking, uh, fine, here, take my resume. Well, then I got an interview. It, it's, it's kind of funny how this lines up. Yeah. I didn't plan on this. I get an interview with Intel. Next thing I know, they're flying me out there. Wow. And I'm kind of impressed with the company. And I said, I'm, I already had my master's degree at that point. And I said, you know what? I, I want to go work. And Where is they flying there? Where is oh, it was uh, I was working at Intel in Arizona. Okay, we were at the time called the Arizona Design Center. Wow, and we lived together for at least five years. This is amazing. Yeah, wow. yeah, I, I, I lived in Arizona. You and that friend working for Intel? We did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the first person I, I knew out there, and we kind of hung around with each other. And you bought a house together. You rented a house. You, I when I went out there. I, I had an apartment for maybe a year and a half, and then I bought a house. Got it. Okay. So got you're it. settled. You're like masters. I got a good job. I got a house. Yeah. You're going to church at this time still. Like yeah. So yeah. so so then I, I thought I had it made because at that point everything was new in Phoenix. It was just a tiny little place at that point, mm-hmm. and now it's now it's just a huge sprawling. Uh, Metropolis, I Never guess. Never been there, so. I oh, know. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to January. You want to come with me? Maybe. Okay, great. Great. Yeah, I'm going back to see all my friends there. And, and um, no, I'll let you have fun with your friends. I'll, okay, I'll thank go you. do something else. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll talk about them in a bit. So they had b- built a brand new church, Corpus Christi. And in fact, when I was there, I think it was Bishop, uh, was it Bishop Thomas O'Brien? Trying, I'm really trying to go to the, the old memory bank, who is the yeah, I don't not, know. not the last bishop, but the previous bishop out in Phoenix. And he even consecrated the church while I was there. That's pretty cool. And, and yeah, I was like, God, this is great. This is a brand new place. Uh, you've given me a brand new baseball team who's actually going to win something in four years. <laughs> you've given me a brand new church for me to call my home. And yeah, I was I was living life large. I forgot you're all about baseball too. I, I am, yeah. The, di- the, the and, stats and everything, all the math. Oh yeah, I, I, I oh yeah, all the math. Yeah, I got yeah. my own fantasy team, and uh, yeah, I, uh, we're AL only, so I just lost Shohei Otani. But that's no, I have no, no idea really, what you're talking about. I'll, I'll explain it okay. after we're done. <laughs> <laughs> but I would go to church, and I'd look around, and there was nobody else my age. And even at some point, I think they put in the, 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 the church bulletin the, the demographics of the parish by age. 
and there was all these young people, and then there was like a V, and the the very tip of the V, it said 25, which was which my age, <laughs> and I think I was that one, and then it kind of went up, and I and huh. I said, like, well, what's going on here? And then remember my my motivation after college, well, I got to meet a young woman. Where where else are you going to meet a, a young woman who shares your Catholic views? So. That was kind of interesting. You know, where, where did where did all my peers go? Even though I'm not from here, yeah. Where's the 25 year olds? Yeah, where's where's my fellow 25 year olds? I still kept coming. I still kept coming. So then I found a, a, a group. It was called their their abbreviation was Psyched C Y C T. I think it was College Youth for Catholic Truth. Okay. And I'm like, okay, I, I I'm gonna belong to them. And I went to their a couple of their meetings. And I was amazed because I didn't realize how much I didn't know about my Catholic faith. They're talking about things, and, and I'm going, I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Now, this was it. But the, so in your Catholic faith, you went to Catholic school and you went to Mass, but you didn't, like, know about everything of your faith. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Like, one night they talked about Our Lady of Guadalupe. And... You know, here's the funny thing. One time I, I found a prayer for vocations when I was packing up and finally leaving and, and, and moving and it wound up with all my stuff and jumbled up and then I found it later on. There was a prayer for vocations that's got Our Lady of Guadalupe on it. But, but you didn't know it was but I didn't. But I didn't know the story. And so somebody along the way must have told me the story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, but I, I forgot or didn't remember or whatever. And so we go to one of these meetings. It was I guess it must have been like the December time frame or something. Or I, I don't know. We were talking about Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is very dear to the people there. And I didn't remember or never heard of that. And so I said, well, if I'm going to meet this fine young lady, I, I got to go do some studying. <laughs> and the internet was coming into B, so you can read lots of stuff, like the Catholic Encyclopedia was online. And I'm just absorbing all, all this information. Yeah. You're just taking, taking all that in. At the same time, now Corpus Christi, the new pastor there had said, we're starting an adoration chapel, and we're looking for people to adore, we're lo- and it's going to be perpetual adoration. And I thought, and then he used the line, if you really believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist, can't you spend one hour a week with him? And I thought about that and said, well, I believe in that. Well, I, I guess, therefore, I should spend one hour a week with Jesus. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I'll, I'll do this. And perpetual, th- that's got to be like three weeks at least, right? And then we're done. <laughs> perpetual. <laughs> I'll, I'll go look up that word later. <laughs> so I, my time was um, Friday after work, probably 5 o'clock. So I, I would finish with... Uh, with work on Friday, go home, and I would go to the the Adoration Chapel. Well, everybody else is going out to bars and hang out. You're going to Adoration. Yeah, I guess I, yeah, that wasn't my thing. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, Which says something. I mean, those are signs that I don't think a lot of times we think about. Like, we want a sign that, like, you know, the sun comes into our room and God speaks a loud, booming voice. But, yeah. you know, a young 25-year-old going to Adoration on Friday night. Yeah. Is a sign too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess so. Yeah, my I was big into hockey, uh, okay. which was funny because I went to Arizona to learn to play hockey. 
kind of like you starting serving in your 20s. Yeah. I just start playing until my 20s. And I would play Monday through Thursday. Wow. So I was probably tired on Friday. Yeah. <laughs> you know, playing games at 11 o'clock at night. And yeah. <laughs> starting work. That's interesting with you because I remember at the seminary, you used to wake up at like 4 o'clock in the morning to go work out with Father Chuck. Father Chuck, yeah. yeah. That was another funny story because one year where it was the beginning of the year and Father Chuck said, hey, you're always going and working out. Can I be your workout partner? And I said, okay. And he said, we start at 4 a.m. And I'm like, what? Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> and he just walks away. So the next next morning I was there at 4 a.m. So we would. <laughs> that would not fly with me. <laughs> yeah. So you were always into sports then too. I mean, so there's that aspect. Well, I enjoyed you. it. I yeah. was not very good at it. So. But you like doing it. And yeah, I like doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So, That's cool. So, yeah. So now you're you're going to Mass. You're learning about your faith. You Going to adoration. Going to adoration Friday evening. So what happens next? So one of my buddies, well, t- two people in that group, one is going away to become a sister. And the other one, his name was Paul. He's now Father Paul, Father Paul Sullivan. He applied to interseminary. Mm. So that was kind of the data point that now, I-, I guess this is just something for me that I, I have to see something so seeing him do it connected something for me. Yeah. And he went and he got the application, applied, and, and, and as he did it, he just went through it with, with so much ease. You know, the application, I think there's a part where you have to write uh, a, a, a couple essays. Mm-hmm. Oh, writing essays. Oh, no, Father Craig. Three essays. <laughs> Three essays. <laughs> so, An autobiography, why you want to be a priest. Right. What is chase celibacy. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So I think I've got them saved somewhere on my computer. <laughs> I, I don't, I've read them a long, long time. So I, I saw Father well, Paul doing this, Father Paul. Then the interesting thing happened at work. Now, Intel, the culture was very much owning your own employment, making yourself, advancing in the company. Mm-hmm. And where are you going to go? Where, where do you see your career going in, in, yeah. in five years, et cetera? It's et a good thing to have goals. Right, right. So now I'm getting this dilemma. Where do I see myself? In, and, and I think that was an exercise. That, where do you see your career in five years? And I'm going, uh-oh, I don't know. Yeah. I've, got this, I've got this tug all of a sudden that's coming back. Then what happened? Let me just stop right there for a second, because that's really amazing that you said what you just said, because there's different YouTube videos of different popular people and different things like that, of just like, you can't be happy sometimes without knowing a direction, like trying to strive for a goal and to complete that goal. And if you ask a lot of, a lot of people today in their early 20s and stuff, and you say, well, where do you see yourself in five years? The answer is, I, I don't know. I haven't thought that far ahead. You know, I, I, I certainly wasn't thinking that at the age of early 20s. or I don't know. I'm going to be an artist just doing something. I don't know. But that was part of the culture there. Yeah. So it was, it was a question that you should be able to answer. And then all of a sudden with— But anybody should be able to answer Right, that. right, yeah, right. Yeah. But, but then with the discernment, it's, oh, I don't know. What if I see myself five years in being in the seminary? Should I put that down on this little piece of paper that I'm giving to my manager? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That'll, that'll come up in a little bit. But So 
the 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 CEO of Intel came to Arizona. The CEO. He he did. Okay. And it was the last question because you know it's open forum. You can ask him any question. And somebody said, Paul, in your opinion, the CEO was Paul Odolini. In your opinion, what does it take to succeed at Intel? And he he said, I'll, I'll tell you two things. Never afraid, be afraid of being wrong. And he said, sometimes you have to make a decision without having all the facts in front of you, and you just have to go with what you have. Mm. And then he talked about, I'll give you That's an example. great ex- advice. He said, and he said, I'll give you an example. And he said, we were opening a $1 billion fab in China, and all the data was not there, whether this is going to be successful or whether it's going to be goal. And I, I signed my name on it to start groundbreaking on this fab. That's where they make the microprocessors. Mm-hmm. And I, I like it was like like a shot to me, and I, I looked and just said, "You just told me that I have to leave if I'm going to be a good Intel employee. Mm. I have to, I have to, I have to pursue this. I can't be the employee here. I'm meant to be unless I do this. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And so it, that was like the day that I, I said, I have to go." I have to go in in order to do, you know, write on the little piece of paper. Where do you see your career in five years? It's not here, and and I've got to. Did you write it down on that piece of paper? And no, give it no, to your no. I, I don't know how the process worked. Yeah. So what happened from there? I mean, obviously you didn't leave the next day, or I mean, but what was no, going on? I'm I'm way too chicken for that. You know, this. <laughs> I, my mom had told me she said she she loved Intel, and she says don't you ever quit that company. I mean, they they were this was the heyday. They were doing great back in the the 90s yeah and so that's always back in the mind you can't can't disappoint mom (laughs) (laughs) well they they redeployed my department and the way that redeployment works is you you can find a job anywhere else in the company and as long as you find a job you stay employed if you can't find a job then that that's it. Hmm. Or you can take the offer they put on the table. And at that point, watching my, my buddy, Father Paul, go through his application, and he, he got into seminary right away. I mean, I, I think he got his application in July or maybe the beginning of July, and he was, he was already going to get in. And I was dragging my feet a little bit. And... I had already started the process, and, and then it's it's more the uh, the fall time period, September, October, and mm-hmm. they're, they're, I think it was September. They gave us this redeployment, and I said, they're giving me six months of salary. <laughs> and the vocation director, I had applied for the Diocese of Phoenix, said that I can get into seminary in January. And now my mind's going like, I could be getting paid to be a seminarian in Intel <laughs> salary, <laughs> at least for a couple months. Yeah. So that was that was it. I just um, so you applied to Arizona. I did. I did. So what happened there? Because you're not in Arizona. I, I'm not. That's that's very astute of you, Father. <laughs> <laughs> well, so anyways, uh, it, it, back to you know, I was saying like I have to mention something. My my boss's boss came to me and said, I, "I want you to come work for me," and I said, "I I said, Mike, I can't. I, I'm," and, he, and I knew he was Catholic. I said, I, "I'm I'm going to seminary." which shocked him you know, hmm. and it shocked a whole bunch of other people at, at work that I confided in. But what, what happened next was 
it just it never panned out. It was so I watched my buddy Father Paul go in, and just one thing happened to another. I I think there you actually had to go on like a panel interview to. I don't remember doing that that here. You had to do the. Don't you need to, uh, some kind of psychological evaluation before mm-hmm. you can? And all these little steps were were not happening. And I, I had asked my, my my buddy Father Paul years after, like, well, how how could they all you lined all these things up and you know just kind of nothing's going on with me? And I found out that he was pushing it. He was calling the vocation director mm. every day, you know, going, I need to do this, I need to do this. And me, I'm kind of going with a little trepidation, mm-hmm. and nothing's happening. So I'm just kind of sitting back waiting. And at at one point. I called the vocation director. I said, "Hey, you said you were going to get me in January, and, and, and nothing's happening. What, you know?" And he said, "Well, I, I, I said I got to sell my house if I'm going to move away." And he said, "Well, yeah, okay." And then the next thing arrived in the mail, and he said, "I don't think we're going to get you in in January." And that was crushing, right? Because now I had lined everything up, yeah. And I don't have a job. I just quit my job. Well, I I came home, and. My mom's second cousin is Father Mike Rudishko, and I knew he was a priest. So I, I figured I'll just call him up, and and he is just a very bubbly, talkative, enjoyable guy. And he said, "Let's let's have lunch or whatever." And I or I don't know how it worked out. I went to see him, and we're sitting in his office, and he said, "Enough is enough, Dave." He picks up the phone, he calls Father Bilo, and he says, "I've got somebody who's coming to see you." <laughs> <laughs> Father Jim Bilo was the vocation director. Yeah. Well, now I'm. Well, I I got to go see Father Jim Bilo, you know, because now I Father Mike made a, an appointment. He's now Monsignor Mike. But but are you are you still living in Arizona at this? Point? I was I was still living in Arizona, okay. and so I I think I probably came back for Christmas. Or yeah, makes sense. Pr- probably probably yeah. came back for Christmas, and talked with uh, talked with Father Bilo. Well. I, I think even before that, and I'll take one step back, they had invited me, and I had one priest that was advocating for me uh, out in Phoenix. His name was Father Thaddeus. And I was telling him the story like nothing's going on. And, and, and so one day he said, you know, you should have gotten a letter inviting you to this priest party over here where the seminarians were coming and mingling. And, mm-hmm. I, and I said, I, I never got a letter. And I, I remember him saying, do you open your mail? And I was I was kind of taken aback by that. Do I, do I open my mail? Well, the day I was leaving in this whole thing, the, the conversation with Father Jim, and yeah. the mail carrier said, "Oh, I, she said I saw you had a hold, but you're here today." And I said, "No, no, I'm I'm the car is picking me up, and I'm leaving. Yeah, so don't don't worry." And that letter was in there. She came to the door and she said, "I, I I'm so sorry." This never happens. And she handed me this tattered, shredded envelope that was like circled and said, went to the wrong address. And I, I opened it and I was shocked. Put it in my bag, just got on the plane and came here for that, that series. And, and that was my sign wow. that Phoenix was not the place. Not the place. For you. Yeah. Not the place. Now, that was a pretty big sign. I don't yeah. expect everybody to get an envelope that was lost in the mail. But, that, but things happen like that. It's not unnormal. 
yeah, that was that was my story. So then meeting Father Jim, going on a discernment weekend here. I, I went, uh, came back in January for a discernment weekend. It made sense, and I and and I think it was my my second cousin once removed saying to me one day, David, your home is in Detroit, and that made all the sense in the world to me. Yeah. And so here you are. Here I am. So you sold your house. Everything probably went really well with all of that, and it did. It uh, somebody told me said it was Father Paul said, "Hey, for chagrins, why don't you look up what your house costs now, like in the hot spot of Phoenix?" Well, that's uh, didn't mean that pun, but yeah, it went quick because the housing market there was just everybody wanted to move in, and I'm moving out, and. Yeah. Actually, when when we when I started off in seminary, we paid for our first first two years. First two yeah. years, so that's that's what I needed to to pay for that. The, Not anymore. If you have a degree and you come to the seminary, you don't have to pay for your first two years that's or excellent. your next four years. That's excellent. That's yeah. excellent. So, so that, uh, but that in at that time that was not the case, yeah. and that that helped me greatly because I didn't have I didn't come into the seminary with any debt or have to take out a loan. Or whatever it was was taken care of just by me buying a house and selling a house in four, three, or four years. Yeah, that's awesome. So providential. So when you moved back here, you just moved right into the seminary. Though. Yeah, it, it was funny because they would always say, "Well, what's your home parish?" And I, I, Corpus Christi in Phoenix. Can I can I list that? Because <laughs> <laughs> you were four years there. I mean, five. Years five. There, yeah. I was uh, went there in '97, came back in 2003. Six. Yeah. I was six years out there. It's pretty amazing, you know, to think, okay, like, because, I mean, in all reality, you had a right to, to be in Arizona, too. I mean, you lived there. Your domicile was there for the last five, six years. You could have been a priest in Arizona right, right now. Right, And that, that's what I had known yeah. for my my buddy, Father Paul. He's from New York, and the, he, he went through seminary. He's vocation director there, but his, he grew up in New York. Yeah. But he's at in Arizona. He's he's yeah. a priest of the the diocese of Phoenix. So. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. And you like Star Wars? I do. Yes. <laughs> but there's a, there's a qualifier there. I I only like the original six movies. Okay. The the first three, the prequels. Yeah. I feel as if when they came to the councils and they were voting on the canon, the scripture. See, Disney hasn't consulted me on my vote. Oh, okay, okay. But I would, I would prove my case that there's only six movies, the prequels, and the uh, the, the series about uh, the Mandalorian is actually movies seven, eight, and nine. Oh, okay. So seven, eight, and nine don't exist. Those See, I only like four, five, and six. six. Yeah. But I explained to you one, two, and three. No, that's true. And you love number two. Number two. Right? Number two is a vocation story. Anakin loses his mom. And he's in love with a girl, and he's having a vocation crisis. And it's all, it's, it's, uh, yeah. And he tries to do two vocations at once. And fails. And it goes bad. It goes badly, yes. You can only discern one vocation at a time is the lesson from a Star Wars. That's right. That's right. It's a beautiful movie. And then three is what happens when you pick unwisely. Trying to do both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, Father David. It's such a great story just to see how God worked in your life and you know i mean in a sense you're a little bit older vocation then because how old yeah, were I was, you when I you was came old. into this yeah scenario? i was old that that was kind of a culture shock for me 
which is funny saying 31 years old is old, but in, in the seminary. Some guys are coming right out of high school, you know, yeah. so 18 year old. And, and my classmates, three of my classmates were straight out of, straight out of high school. So it, it was a culture shock coming in and they're, they're some of my best friends now. They're 10 years younger than I am. Yeah. They'll take care of me when I'm old. Yeah, it's amazing in, in seminary, you know, the different barriers that would normally be out in the world kind of break down because you guys are, you belong to something unique. And um, I think that's one of the amazing parts of coming to seminary and amazing part of being a priest is that you belong in a unique way, in a sacramental way, way to a band of brothers that... Um, you know, we're bonded in, in a different way than other people are. It is and true. It is true. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So what would you say to a, a young man who's listening or even an older man who's listening or a 31-year-old who's listening <laughs> right now uh, about, eh, maybe I'm thinking about the priesthood, uh, what should I do next? Well, I go back to that advice that really hit me with Paul Odellini. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. And sometimes you need to make a choice without having all the data or all the evidence. And I've always advocated for if a guy has an inkling coming out of high school, he should go right in, go right into seminary. It's, it's the best place. Or whenever you have it, try it. The, you may find and discern that it's not for you, but those years won't be wasted. They're probably the best formation you can actually have and the becoming a better man you are and it's it's impressive to me the men the archbishop invests i mean the, the priests that he puts in seminary they're good priests they could be out in the field and he's put them here in the seminary for a reason yeah, yeah. and the archbishop will take time to come and meet with the guys on a discernment weekend because he could be doing so many other things but he'll come and talk to all the guys who are considering that's amazing. A vocation to the priesthood. And I believe that Father David Pelican is going for further studies. So we're, we're taking our best men. <laughs> <laughs> of course, with Father David, he's trying to get all A's <laughs> all the way through his doctorate. We'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see. Yeah. Only time will tell. I've, 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 uh, now that you can do the legalized betting, I, I'm betting on Father David oh, okay. have, heavily. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's make some side bets after the podcast. <laughs> no, I would bet on Father David as well. I, yeah, think okay. I think he's doing well. I think he's in Budapest right now. I think he's traveling around for, during uh, Christmas time, uh, living it up, going, I think he was in Germany. Now he's Look at in that. Budapest and living it up. Wow. Yeah. Well, Father David, it's been wonderful to have you out and, and, and to talk and tell your story. Uh, it's amazing. I've known you for so long, and I really didn't know your story, so it's just wonderful to hear it, and I'm sure some other guys needed to hear it as well. Yeah, that's amazing, because these good things, I, I've always been convinced that we need to share our testimony. A, test, uh, a vocation story is a form of testimony, yeah. but I think even amongst parishioners, that's very po powerful to how has God touched your life, yeah. and I think that's probably the best form of evangelization, actually, because I heard somebody say, nobody can say that didn't happen to you. May not agree with all the conclusions that we came in, but the life experience, you can't deny that that happened. Yeah. Like the, the lost letter, um, that letter was lost. You may attribute different meaning to me than I attributed to the letter, but that letter was lost for a month or whatever. Yeah. And there was a reason for it? There's a reason for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, Father David, you want to lead us out in a prayer? All right.
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit down upon us that we may give you adequate thanks, and thank you for this time together, this podcast. And as Father Craig said, may this go out to the man or whoever needs it most that help that person, could be a, a woman in her discernment to religious life, or whatever the vocation is, that your will be done as we pray so much in the Our Father. We thank you for this Christmas season, and we make this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father Son, Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father David. Thank you, Father Craig. You've been listening to Men of the Hearts, a monthly podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit Office of Priestly Vocations. Join me, your host, Father Craig Garrett, and usually Father Drew, maybe, as well, as we explore the priesthood, hear vocation stories from priests all over the Archdiocese, and answer questions about discerning a priestly vocation. Tune in every month wherever you get your podcasts, and learn more at DetroitPriestlyVocations.com.